the top, talking to the big wigs in marketing and advertising. We want to flip the story and start at the bottom. In this podcast, we're talking to the brilliant creative minds who are shaping the future of our industry. We're talking to the Junior Mafia in Adland. Hello and welcome to the Junior Mafia podcast. I'm Dom Hickey. And I'm Jade Hickey. Today we're talking with Heather Morrison. Heather has been a strategic planner for more than 10 years and has worked at ad agencies around the world on some pretty big names like Kellogg's, P&G, Purina, Ikea, Minilog, along with not-for-profits like the I Touch Myself Project and Sydney Cats and Dogs Home. While Heather still freelances for agencies, her main gig is now CEO and co-founder of Handy, a company that's created the first line of sex toys for the disabled community. We've got loads to talk about today. Welcome, Heather. It's really good to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Yay. Thank you guys so much. Um, so this is, I'm pretty excited to have a chat to you because I know a bit about your story. You've obviously freelanced at DDB and we've been working together, uh, but we probably haven't talked so much about uh, in person about where the, where you've come from and what you've been doing. But I thought it would be good to start with advertising. So we're in an industry that really attracts some brilliant creative people with the ability to solve some real problems. What's some of the work that you've seen in the industry that you think does this really well? Yeah, so I think you're right. Like One of the things that drew me to advertising was that it seemed to be this weird catch-all for all of these really smart but also really creative people. And I think out of that, you also get people who get into advertising because they want to be part of something slightly bigger than themselves. And so there it does seem to be that drive to how we can solve actual human problems. So some of the work that I've seen um, that I've really loved um, recently, and that has definitely inspired me as well. So Xbox, a really great example, um, they reimagined the controllers last year to make them more accessible, um, including everything from packaging to use um, to charging, um, which is a really good um, example for us and something that we'll also be borrowing heavily from. Uh, accessible for who, sorry? Uh, so for people with disabilities. Okay, yeah. that's cool. So how did they do that? Like as in they redid all the handles and stuff to make them more? Yeah, so they completely redesigned the controller and also the packaging that they came in to make it really accessible for people who have, similar to us, hand limitations or don't have the level of dexterity or the ability to play um, with a game controller like most um, able-bodied people would. That's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. think there's some brilliant examples in the industry. Like Thisables is another one which I really love came out of a hackathon that Ikea ran to look at creating more accessible versions of their furniture. So small hacks that you can use with existing Ikea furniture that make it easier for people that maybe can't sit down to such a low level or need um, bigger buttons to turn on and off lights. And I think there's some great examples of advertising work that solved a real human problem across all sorts of issues. So the other one that we talked about was the tampon book where uh, books aren't subject to luxury tax, but tampons are. So they basically sold a book and the middle of it was cut out and it was full of tampons. Um, <laughs> and that was sold in, in Europe to get around the, the tax laws, which I thought was amazing. Um, so there's lots of great examples of that. But I think we, the thing that we would really love to talk to you about today is that is handy. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, so give our listeners an elevator pitch to start with, what it is and why it's something we should be talking about more. Yeah, so Handy is developing the first line of sex toys for people with disabilities, and we've actually designed it for and by people with disabilities working really closely with the disabled community. Um, I had my light bulb moment a couple of years ago, so I have a brother, a younger brother, who lives with cerebral palsy. Um, he 
also works as a sex and disability activist. And so because of his lived experience, but also because of the work that he does day to day, um, he had made a documentary in which he talked quite a bit about his um, sex life and his relationships and also the fact that he had been able to masturbate when he was younger, um, but had lost that ability as he mm-hmm. got older and his um, disability sort of increased and his hand spasticity increased. And so I hadn't had any idea because we don't have a at that point, we didn't have a really, you know, intimate relationship in which we talked about, sat around and talked about our, like, masturbatory habits yeah. Yeah. often. We're both pretty normal brother and sister relationship. <laughs> um, but I had this huge light bulb moment, and I said, I just had no idea. And so if that's the case, like, what are your options? What can you do? And he's like, well, I can, like, rely on my support workers, which is touch and go. Um, and awkward is awkward AF, like, yeah. for yeah. anybody. Um, I expensive. Can, uh, well, support workers are covered for, yeah. so um, so he wouldn't pay for them. But support workers, like the people who come in to kind of take care of you, don't necessarily always want to be involved in that. And it kind right. of comes it, down is to... Is that something... So, uh, sorry. Is that something a support worker would actually do? Depends on the support worker. Right. So some support workers are open to it and they have similar values, but it kind of comes down to the personal values of the support worker. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay, so that sounds terrible. What else? He's like, I can hire sex workers, which he does or did pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, or he's just kind of... Um, doesn't isn't able to access sexual pleasure at all mm-hmm. and so very naively i asked why he couldn't use one of the sex toys on the market thinking like i use sex toys like surely millions of them like so many well surely one mm-hmm. of them works and he said you know I, the work that i do sex toy companies send me toys to test all the time and i can't usually get them out of the package let alone actually use them and so just as naively i said do you want to change that um, and he said yes, and that was two, two years ago. And wow. if we had known what was lying ahead for us, I don't know if we'd boldly <laughs> taken that first step. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of why we why we started the business, and and it's an interesting brother and sister dynamic dynamic and, <laughs> yeah. and story that kind of goes along with it. But at the same time, we are solving a real human need. I had no idea at that time, and so part of my job as well in this company is to give as many people that light bulb moment that I had. I, I think that's true of a lot of things when you talk about um, disabilities. Is not until you actually talk to someone that really struggles with something that you take for granted that that moment becomes visible, whereas previously it was completely yeah. invisible. And mm-hmm. I think that repl- applies to the like, accessibility of parks and playgrounds and yeah. hotels and I, I think until you've watched someone struggle to do something that you just take so naturally totally. you don't really think about it so mm-hmm. much yeah. and like also f- like in that same sense we like none of us know what tomorrow is going to hold and yeah. we're also living in an aging population where our expected age is increasing so the older we get the more likely we are to incur some form of disability and so whilst this is giving back to a community that's been very overlooked currently it's not it's also not a completely selfless endeavor like i want to have my orgasms insured when mm-hmm. i'm older yeah um, and i want to make sure that this problem is solved in the event that i get really bad hand arthritis or something happens where yeah. i can't use my hands um i want to be able to cuddle up with a joystick and just <laughs> <laughs> i mean this is obviously a pretty provocative subject for some people i think um you're very open talking about it. How have you been able to sort of navigate this conversation? With all, uh, you, you, you're looking at funding, you're talking to a lot of people. How do you navigate it so that that uh, people lean in rather than lean out? Because yeah. sex is a pretty awkward conversation totally. that people like to avoid at all costs. And masturbating yeah. even more so. And masturbating yeah. even more so. So yeah. I think yeah, we've um, we've like hit the trifecta with taboos. So yeah. it's sex, masturbation, and disability. And you put all those three things on the table, and it yeah definitely freaks people out. But I've kind of grown to love it. And the taboo 
works for us in way works for us in that we are a small startup and we're able to be provocative and we lean into those things um, in te- with intent. Um, but it also can work against us in that not everybody wants to talk about those things, and it can, from an investment point of view or infrastructure standpoint, make it harder to go out and raise money. Um, and so the best way that we found to navigate that is also to really curb it in and around um, the human rights element. So the World Health Organization, bless them, has basically said um, and has declared sexual pleasure as a human right, Mm -hmm. which means that if if sexual pleasure is out of reach for you or if you're reliant on somebody else for that sexual pleasure, you're actually in breach of a human right. I mean, you're not having access to your human rights. And so by doing that and, and also like really leaning into the disability and then that need state, we're able to um, get in um, from like an impact point of view. The reality is pretty much everybody masturbates. And so if you can, can curb it in a way that they start to understand that some people actually can't do that mm-hmm. um, and what that might mean for them or how that might make them feel on that more personal level without freaking them out. And there is a fine balance. Yeah. yeah. Um, then you can start to sort of pull that empathy and understanding out. Um, but we've, yeah, we lean a hard really into the, um, into the human rights aspect because that starts to soften things for some people. Mm. But you also have to just kind of come out with it. Like there's no tiptoeing around what we're doing. Do you talk a lot mostly with um, people's carers or like the people with disabilities themselves or is it quite an even split? Uh, we talk mostly with people with disabilities mm-hmm. themselves. Um, so when we look at how we've been designing the product and also just understanding their lived experience, um, there's this great quote from one of the occupational therapists we work with, which is nothing with nothing for me without me, which means that everything we do all the design and that we created a book last year as well was very much led by the disabled community or at the very least they always have a seat at the table so my younger brother is still very involved in the, the company mm-hmm. he's our chief disability officer I'm pretty sure he's the only chief disability officer in the world I made it up so <laughs> I don't think <laughs> it it's sounds a... <laughs> very important <laughs> um, but he oversees everything from a lived experience point of view he looks at all of our copy he t- in touch with the community and the insights and so he really oversees all of that as well. Um, and I think that as we want to be more inclusive, the more chief disability officers that we can start to mm-hmm. include in companies. Yeah, I mean, it is actually pretty startling that that is not a title that exists when you think of the, I mean, I get in a small company, but in thinking of the scale of some of the companies that we've got, how that's not yeah. already a title um, is pretty mind blowing. Yeah. And I, I love that expression, nothing for me without me. I think that actually applies to a lot of things. Yeah. There's a lot of places where we, design messaging communication products for groups of people without actually involving them and we've talked a lot about diversity on this podcast and different groups of people i think Mm. it's a great really great little quote yeah i've been yeah and we followed that anyways but she succinctly kind of just yeah um so we don't we haven't talked with support workers as much um but we know that there's a huge gap in terms of the tools that they have to have the conversations mm-hmm. and feel comfortable having them and even feel comfortable helping um, people with disabilities in and around their sexual needs. So mm-hmm. it's co- more of a content play probably that we'll start to look at in terms of how can we arm people with the right tools. Um, and then we've been working a lot with occupational therapists because they are on the front lines. They have lots of clients who will very often come to them they're helping them with all aspects of their life and sexuality needs to be one of them. Um, but it's even taboo within that um, world as well and that some OTs feel really comfortable talking about it, really want to talk about it, and others really don't. And so, again, it comes down to how can we change the curriculum? What can our brand do to help mm-hmm. um, foster those relationships and also just normalize that conversation because it's part of somebody's life. So it's something that people should be able to talk about with their support workers and occupational therapists. It's amazing. It is amazing. 
you you've you've taken handy to the point where you're currently working with a team of product engineers occupational therapists and industrial designers at both RMIT University in Melbourne and Vert Design in Sydney. That's pretty remarkable for a product that didn't exist. <laughs> and, and someone I with love, product experience. Yeah, and designer. someone with that product experience. <laughs> I love that's come from a strategist because I think this is the sweet spot for what we should be doing. Can you talk a bit through what was the process to get handy to this point? Yeah, for sure. Um, so we... Um, my brother and I realized really early on that we had something. We went out and did some additional research after that light bulb moment conversation mm-hmm. um, and made sure that we validated the idea. I'm a humongous fan of like chucking surveys on Reddit um, because there's so many subreddits on there that are so specific that you can actually get into a really specific user base without having to pay any money or really like go yeah. digging. Um, and so we put out in any, in all of the sort of disability driven subreddits, um, a survey and we got over hundred responses on that survey, which given that um, disability is about 10% of the population, it was roughly, it was significant enough for us to know that, yeah, we were onto something. Um, and so we, we did a bit of research, made sure we validated the idea, understood where the biggest barriers for people were, which was in and around hands. So anything to do with like fine motor skills, um, dexterity, reach, pain, arthritis, etc. Mm-hmm. All of those things can prevent you from self-pleasuring and also from using the toys on the market because both assume that you've got full use of your hands. Um, and at that point, I was like, right, cool, we're on to something. I don't know what to do next. <laughs> I've never, I don't have any now product what? design experience. Yeah. Um, and so I literally Googled <laughs> sex toy design Australia. <laughs> And up came this name of this woman called Dr. Judith Glover. She was teaching, lecturing on the topic at RMIT University in Melbourne. And I was like, I'm just going to, because all of her information, because she's a lecturer, was public. I was like, I'm just going to shoot her a quick email, give her a bit of information and see if she'd be keen to have a chat which she 100% was. Um, and she, you knew that like within five minutes of talking to her, that she was someone you wanted to work with. Like, if you think I'm comfortable talking about sex, like, so her, she's an industrial designer by trade, but she's the only one in the world that has a PhD in sex toy design. So she is a oh, cool, cool wow. lady. <laughs> Mind blown. I love Andrew it. Andrew and I on the call with her, we were just like, we're just like back channel texting we have to work with this woman. Like, yeah. This is amazing. And she was just so cool um, and so forward. And, and she had said, look, I've known this was a problem for a while. We're looking for somebody who can fund research on it. If you guys want to be that that client, then we can do the research for you. And then all of the rights and everything goes back to you guys. And so we said, sweet, um, send us how much it's going to be. We quickly did a GoFundMe, raised enough money and off to the races. So they... Um, they did some re- additional research to help us validate the research that we'd already done from an academic point mm-hmm. of view. Um, and they did some additional research in terms of, okay, let's actually look at and work with disabled people and where the barriers are for them and what the barriers are for um, the toys on the market. So Andrew and another female participant were being sent like reams of toys and um, OTs and designers were going into their homes, not like in a Nobody was getting naked, but, you know, everybody had their clothes on. But it was also like, how do you how do you hold and manage something like yeah. that? How could we make it more accessible, et cetera? Off the back of that, we, got, we came up with four lead concepts um, that we really liked that we thought could work across a bunch of different disabilities and that sort of removed the need for dexterity from the equation. Um, we tested those with the disabled community and occupational therapists last year. We whittled it down to one lead design based on their feedback and based on the fact that one of the designs was originally, so the joystick was actually originally um, created with females in mind, um, but every guy we showed it to was like, 
chuck a penetration sleeve in there and I can definitely give that a go. And they were actually more excited than some of the girls were. And so we were like, oh, we can hit Sweet. both, tar- yeah. both um, genders or both sexes with one design. Excellent, because now we don't have to choose. Um, and then so we progressed um, all of that learning into um, f- furthering the design, um, started working with Ferret Design because they'll be able to take those concepts and push them through to actually having a product that looks like something you could hand off to manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we basically got it to a point where we were just about ready to go to um, factory. Um, and the design team being classic design team was like, great, cool. Let's like get it to the factory. They want to see things in the way that they're actually going to look. Um, and I said, yeah, nah, we've not tested like a bunch of the changes we've made since the last round. We've not seen this in anybody's hands. We've not seen anybody like try and engage with it. Mm -hmm. We're going to set, we're going to make some really cheap and cheerful prototypes and send them out. Um, and we'll do another round of testing and then I'm happy to spend the money on, Mm -hmm. because once you go to factory, you're spending money on like tooling the factory costs all of the like materials even to just get your first few prototypes you end up spending like tens of thousands of dollars and i can tell you like this was the most beneficial thing that we did it has just saved us heaps of money testing it one more time and this for reference to anyone listening we have the joy is it the joystick is that the joystick the handy joystick (laughs) in the room it's beautiful do you want to describe it to anyone listening (laughs) i like to describe it as if a foam roller and a body pillow had a love child Um, (laughs) uh, so it's pretty big i think it's probably the elephant in the room but the design always has been but actually that works best for people with disabilities um sometimes bigger is better and so essentially it's designed (laughs) to take all of the requirement away from your fine motor skills allows people to hug into the design itself and actually use their torso and legs and gross motor skills to position it there's a middle section that has will be um, fit with a either a vibrator or a penis sleeve whichever one Mm -hmm you want and we know that some dudes really love vibration they don't need the the sleeve so up to you Um, and then the top bit kind of flexes and and curves so you'll be able to actually flex it into different positions Um, but the middle section is also um, designed to be a holster so if you don't want to have one of the sleeves or the vibrators that we've designed um, which will have big buttons and be super accessible um, and you've got a whole bunch of toys that you actually like but just can't hold in place or um get your arms get tired after a while or you don't want to get in your head about Mm -hmm. whether or not your hands might tire out you can actually put your um, own toys in there um, and use those instead of having to buy any of ours so it brings new life into the dusty sex toys they've got in your drawer <laughs> Gosh. I mean it's pr- it's pretty amazing that we're sitting suitcases. here uh, with a prototype <laughs> this is like a, a very good example of a design thinking project and how how successful it can be so how do you find that the skills you developed in strategy at agencies have helped you with the process of innovation for yeah, Andy? Immensely. Um, there was definitely some years in the agency land where I was like, why am I here? What am I supposed to be learning? I don't feel like I fit, but at the same time, I like I like being in agencies. Like I laugh a lot. People are great. It is filled with like brilliant creative types. Um, and you have weird conversations about why zombies are definitely the right way to go and (laughs) around those types of things um but at the same time i was always kind of not 100 percent sure where i was going with it um because i didn't want to be um planning director and i wanted to do my own thing and so i was always kind of having this internal dialogue with myself but now actually being in a company in a startup and starting to start trying to start from the ground 
so many of the skills are so incredibly transferable. So definitely like knowing how to build a brand, knowing what, how important it is to lay that foundation and the strategy out at the beginning so that you've got a North Star and a vision. Because oftentimes when you're um, working on the business day to day, you're in the weeds as well. And so if you haven't taken the time to properly think about what you actually want your brand to stand for and what you want your company to do and where you want to go, mm-hmm. then it's really easy to get distracted and to like follow different like shiny objects. Um, and all yeah. of a sudden, like you're so far off from where you wanted whereas if you can keep bringing yourself back mm-hmm. that's really helpful um, I did spend some time in an innovation agency and so a lot of the design thinking um, that I've employed and like the ability to just get in front of people research ask the questions I was able to pick up from there um, and that has been yeah massively helpful but I think also it's just the ability to tell a story to pull a really compelling deck together to, to pitch your company in 90 seconds in a way that gets people emotionally involved that gets people to leave in, lean in, even though it's like a squirmy subject for people mm-hmm. and also takes them on the journey and makes them want to like consider investing or thinking that you're a good idea by the end of that 90 seconds um, is pretty difficult, I think, for a lot of people. And if it wasn't for advertising, the ability to like tell that story in a rich way mm-hmm. whilst like leading into emotion, at, but also hitting your rational points, I don't think I would have been able to do. So it's been massive. Plus, like having connections in agency land has been incredibly helpful yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. from a PR and creative idea mm-hmm. point of view. And so many people just wanting to offer help and get involved. And yeah, I love it. Yeah, we've sold us and it's not for us <laughs> at all, but I'm definitely going to watch this journey the whole way. So you're currently in the process of seed finding seed funding. Yeah. Um, imagine it's 2030. Where, where's Handy going to be? What does it look oh God, like? What year are we now? 2021. All right, so 10 years up. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Not that far. Um, so essentially, we've got three kind of key pillars in our business. So our overarching purpose is pleasure within reach, um, but which gives us a really nice way to tap into a few different like strategic pillars. The first one being brand. So a lot of the stuff you'll see about sex and disability is super clinical. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, like, hands-off. It's kind of cold. It's not very much fun. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely not pleasurable. It doesn't really feel very sexy. Um, whereas with our brand, we want to be provocative. We want to, like, lean into the taboos. But we also want to do it in a way that's fun to engage with, that's pleasurable, that you actually want to lean in and engage with mm-hmm. this brand. And so all of our branding and all of our brand acts always kind of operate on that pillar um, so that our touch points around pleasure are through the line. Mm-hmm. Um, but then product from a product point of view, this is definitely our first product, but we know disability is such a huge range. Even when you think about hand limitations, it's also a massive range. You start to get into conversations around um, you know, mental um, mental health and different disabilities that can come in play as well, or spinal cord injuries, and those needs are vastly different to the needs mm-hmm. that we design for. So 2030-wise, we'll have a full range of um, toys that we can um, continue to build around and build out, leaning into different needs and different disabilities, um, aging as well being a massive one um, as we continue to go and grow and learn from the community where the gaps still are. Um, and then the last one for us, um, oh, sorry, and then in addition to that is like your lubes, your condoms, like hands up who struggles with a condom? Everyone. So mm-hmm. if you have actually also got a disability, um, that's really, really tricky um, for you as well. But if we solve that problem for people with disabilities, universal design is actually good for everybody. Um, So there's a big benefit for the mainstream population for us doing a lot of this work as well. Um, And then like lingerie, et cetera. So from a product perspective, there's so many different places, accessories and toys that we could go um, and grow. And hopefully by 2030, we're leaning into some really cool AI 
this it learns what you like it learns what your disabilities and limits are and it kind of like every time it gets a little bit smarter yeah um and then education is a massive one so i think we started to touch on mm -hmm. that earlier in that there's a huge education gap both for people with disabilities as they come up through the school system oftentimes they're removed from phys ed which means that they're removed from sex ed as well and actually not even given the option not that any of our sex ed courses were really all that mind-blowing like condom banana but still yeah. it teaches you from a young age that maybe you shouldn't be having sexual feelings because you're disabled but you are having sexual feelings and then that causes quite a bit of like mm -hmm. shame and isolation and guilt around sexuality which is really unhealthy um so we'd love to do curriculum in and around that but also on the flip side of that is your occupational therapists your support workers mm -hmm. and making sure that the sex ed is there to have and foster those conversations so we have a big vision. Yes, I love it. <laughs> that is amazing. There is a lot to do, and I, I would, I can't wait to twenty thirty to see, to see where you've got to. Um, and so you're definitely probably the most experienced person that we've had in the junior mafia so far. So maybe your best piece of advice for what you've been given since you've entered the industry would be a good point to leave on. Yeah, that's a good question. I did see it in the list, and I was like. Phew. So I've, I've got a couple. So um, Cindy Gallup is one of our um, advisors. She's been an incredible supporter of ours from day one. She um, has an advertising background, is now an, a massive influencer in the US. She lives in New York. Um, but she also is the founder of Make Love Not Porn. So from a sex tech point of view, she's been really helpful to us. And she told us early on to basically... And I think this applies to anybody who's leaning into a taboo or thinking about how you can use them is to basically come out of the shadows because the less you talk about something that's taboo, the more, the less people know that it exists. So there's no problem recognition, which means less people are working to solve it around the world. But as soon as you start to talk about those problems, and I think we're seeing brands do a really great job of that with respect to women's health at the moment, understanding like what some of the things that we go through mm -hmm. every month or what some of the femtech brands are starting to solve for people even like menopause um, breaking down some of those taboos actually means that there's more innovation and actually more inclusive feelings um, and less isolation within the communities that brands are trying to help um, so I think coming out of the shadows and just leaning into it and not being scared to talk about mm -hmm. it actually helps more people than you realize and really helps your company as well um, and then I think probably the other one is whenever you think a door is not going to open it will <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay to have like positive ambiguity to know kind of roughly where you're going but not to know exactly how you're going to get there yeah. and not to be too attached to exactly how things are going to mm -hmm. look but to trust in the process of keeping on going because you know it's the right thing to do or the right direction um, and you'll be surprised how many like doors open or people that you meet that suddenly like means you can live another day or um, you might meet mm -hmm. someone with a PhD in sex toys you never know exactly. <laughs> just pick Google <laughs> Oh, thanks that so much for amazing. coming on. Yeah, that was yeah. so good. That's all right. That was such a great chat. Thank you for sharing that journey with us. It's really good. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Yeah.